It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 172, King Uzzah. In the midst of northern Israel's prosperity in the age of King Jeroboam II, the prophecies of Jonah and Amos, we have a new king of Judah in Jerusalem. He'll be quite remarkable, way more remarkable than his father, but then so very much like him in the end. His father, Amaziah, was the guy who hired the mercenaries and was rebuked by God and created his own enemies. Yeah, that guy. His son, who he set up as the boy who watched the walls of Jerusalem tumble down, is now king. Before we begin this story, let's talk about the chronology. It's pretty hard to fit all these timelines and kings and prophets together. A lot of biblical history scholars have noticed and have made the the king of Israel timeline charts and such. The timelines create a challenge because the times don't fit together perfectly. For the timelines to work, most scholars have pointed out that many of the kings have regencies, where they co-reign with their father. They reign on their own, and then they even co-reign with their son at times. So in the case of the next king, Uzzah, it says he reigned 52 years. Some of this was with his father, and some with his son. So this is how it all fits together. Uzzah was very ambitious, and I get the take he was held up as king quite early. It says he was 16 years old when he became king, even before his father's death, for his father was kicked out of the government. His father fled to Lachish, and he was murdered there. And I get the take Uzzah co-ruled with his father. He ruled when he fled, and he took over as the king upon his father's death, officially. There is no word of him implementing any justice on his father's murderers, which is pretty interesting, unlike previous kings. Uzzah, like his father, started very well, but his heart was into the physical, not the spiritual acts of the kingdom. The acts of strength and, and those acts of building up the army and fighting enemies he excelled at, but his faults were like his father. His faults were spiritual and his faults were pride. It's too bad he was such an example of father-like son because he was a brilliant administrator and strategic thinker and an engineering genius. 2 Kings 26.6 He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabne, and Ashdod. He then rebuilt walls near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbaal, and against the Ammonites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzzah, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become so powerful. Uzzah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns because he had so much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile valleys for he loved the soil. Wow, what an enlightened and great king. He was successful militarily. He rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem. 
He built new cities. He worked in the fields like Solomon. What this guy is doing great. He thought strategically, and he was probably really brilliant. 2 Kings 26.11 Uzal had a well-trained army, ready to go up by division according to their numbers, as mustered by Jael, the secretary, and Masael, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of the family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against their enemies. Uzzah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, and slingshots for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that the soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful." All right, did you catch that? He had an army of over 300,000 soldiers. That's awesome. And he had devices that hurled arrows and large stones from the walls. Okay, so that's just super cool. Seriously, did he invent the catapult? There's a bit of debate about this, and I did some research. So just simply Googling the invention of the catapult, most historians point to Dionysus the Elder of Syracuse for inventing the catapult in 399 BC. That's uh, over 300 years later. We've got some historians who don't read their Bible. What do you think? The problem is that these catapults on the walls of Jerusalem were a marvel. But as much as a marvel as they were... They only lasted as long as the decay of the wood and the ropes that worked them. Once they decayed and our great king went south, his great military technology went with him to be discovered, that's probably not the right word, re-engineered at a later date in Syracuse. What happens next is what Moses warned the kings to be aware of, pride and trusting in horses and chariots over the Lord. In the case of Uzzah, he trusted in his military, his skills, his genius, even his engineering over the Lord. And what happened is, it went to his head. Uzzah fortunately didn't collect horses or chariots, but instead developed technology hundreds of years before its time. He was an engineering genius, but once his great projects were complete, something, I mean something from the devil, went to his head. Uzzah became prideful. Amazing how obvious the writer of 2 Kings is declaring just how prideful he was. He wasn't able to handle such a meteoric rise in popularity, wealth, and power. It never said he balanced it with faith in God, a trust in the Lord, or even worship. He just got prideful. 2 Kings 26.16 But after Uzzah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest with 80 other 
courageous priest of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzzah and said, It's not right for you, Uzzah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. So what was Uzzah thinking? He wasn't a David. David had intimate fellowship with God and could be around the Ark of the Covenant. He ate the consecrated bread. Uzzah was never termed as a worshiper, and his relationship with God was in question. What good did this achieve? My only take is that Uzzah was jealous of the priest, and he and his power wanted to do the same thing regardless of the consequences. No one was above him. He could do whatever he wanted. But by wanting to be a priest, he was letting his pride rise up to confront the law that God put in place to protect people like him. He didn't listen to the priest. Instead, he goes off on them, like his father who went off on the prophet and received horrible condemnation in turn. Here, Uzzah flies off the rails against the priest. 2 Kings 26.19 Uzzah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging at the priest in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah the chief priest and all the other priests looked at him, they saw he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had inflicted him. King Uzzah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge over the palace and governed the people of the land. Uzzah rested with his ancestors and was buried near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings where people said he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. Isn't this something? A great and powerful king was reduced to a single phrase, to he had leprosy. He was buried near his ancestors in a cemetery that belonged to the kings, for the people said he had leprosy. That was his legacy. He had leprosy. His legacy was not innovation, technology, and growth, an administrative genius, a military expansion, and stability of his country. No, his legacy was he had leprosy. I find the location of his leprosy on his head in relation to his sin as well. He didn't submit to God and his laws. He was king and he appeared to be ahead of his people, but he wasn't in submission to God. He, as the head of his people, he brought them low in his pride for him to rise up. But he didn't submit to God, and leprosy broke out on his head, leaving the nasty message, If you want to be your own head and not submit, you'll receive the covering you submit to. You, yourself, and the corrosion of the flesh that comes from pride upon your own head. Leprosy broke out on the covering of the king, who failed to submit to God's covering. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we haven't checked in with Josephus' histories in a long time, and his account of Uzzah is a bit different. We don't know for sure if it's altogether true. Of course, it's Josephus, but it's history. It's, 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 it's an historian who documented these time frames, and it's from his perspective. So we're going to cover it. 
Some of the symbolism that occurs in his account is pretty fascinating. Josephus adds, Uzzah was so prideful he thought he could be a priest. He put on the priestly garments and he went into the temple and into the holy place. And when he entered the holy place and went to perform the task, a great earthquake hit the land of Israel. You know, the great earthquake. This is the one Josephus relates to, and this is the great earthquake of 760 B.C. As Uzzah enters the Holy of Holies in the temple where he shouldn't have gone, a place where he wasn't supposed to be, an earthquake smashes the entire region. According to Josephus, he enters the holiest place of all, and when he does, an earthquake hits and rents the temple, shaking the temple and tearing a hole in the center of the temple, even in the roof. And when light permeates through the temple and hits the king, inside the Holy of Holies, he is stricken with leprosy. Now that's pretty dramatic. Hard to say if it truly happened. It's not in the Bible. But what a fascinating tie to the earthquake of this age. Now, if this is truly what happened, what does it represent? And, of course, this is where we'll end. Josephus writes his histories around 70 AD, and he doesn't speak to Jesus much. And I don't believe he ever writes about the earthquake that occurs after Jesus' death. And I do find it interesting how he writes about this king and how the temple was rent when he entered the Holy of Holies. I find the language comparative to when Jesus died, when the veil was rent in two. The same one that separated the Holy of Holies and the holy place in the temple. Here is a king who wants to be a priest. He believes he was so powerful, he should be able to do whatever he wants. He enters into a place where he was not allowed. The priests were allowed through sacrifices and religious duties. David was allowed through accessed relationship to figuratively enter the holy place. This king, Uzzah, he was so prideful and had no permission, no entry, he wasn't allowed. Is the devil allowed in heaven? No. Well, maybe there's a place, there's maybe like an outdoor seat where he can have a judicial hearing with God, like in the book of Job, but that's it. Generally, the devil isn't allowed in heaven. He was kicked out. Uzzah is not the devil, but he wasn't allowed in the holiest place on earth. His pride wasn't allowed. He entered and was afflicted. But when Jesus dies, the veil that separated the holy of holies and the rest of the temple was rent in two. The veil was torn to remove the separation that only religious duties could fulfill. Jesus' death tore the veil that allowed us to enter the holiest place with God and later for him to fill us in our hearts. And with the right motives in the New Testament age, the Holy of Holies comes and dwells in you and me. Your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when this happens, a new nature overtakes you of love and joy and peace. Pride and shame leaves and anger and resentment and even religious thoughts like you have to be perfect to enter the holy place. They have to go. See, God has now found a home. He's now found a people, a holy priesthood, a people dedicated to him. 
The conflict is over whether a king can enter in. A king can enter in the holy place, and it all starts with the relationship with God. Uzzah was prideful and strange in his desire to enter the holy place. God does not grant access to prideful and godly men. There is the Old Testament way through religious duty, but this is exhausting and not in step with his heart. The way we enter the holy place is to enter into right relationship with God by surrendering our pride and arrogance and sin and surrender them to God and to submit to Him. This is the path to God. In repentance and submission and relationship, the holy place is only found in right relationship with God, not in aggressive taking it by force. This is what Uzzah did his whole life. He thought he could do the same with God. No, we find peace through submission and mercy through repentance and grace through relationship. Relationship comes from spending time in the holy place. So, we haven't done this in a while. So, let's offer an invitation to the listeners out there. If you haven't established a relationship yet with God, if you haven't allowed him in, here's an opportunity. David was figuratively outside the laws of religion in his day because he learned to worship God and to foster a relationship with him. It all starts with the conversation. Get on your knees and I'll lead you in a conversation with God. It starts with giving over God the things you, that have control over you. Followed by surrendering to His ways. Followed by a declaration that you want Him to change you and to fill you with His Spirit. Here we go. I'll lead you in a conversation if you've never done this before. Or if you want to do it again. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean from all of my sins of the past, even the things I, I did yesterday or today. Thank you for the cross with dealt with sin forever. I commit my life to you, God, and I surrender all to follow you. Make me new and fill me with your spirit. If you prayed that prayer, God is touching you right now. And he has torn the veil of religion that prevents us from entering into the Holy of Holies and living a more full life. Figuratively pull off your religious garments and walk into a normal, common relationship with Jesus. For the veil is torn and access to the holy place is for you and for me. Never again shall you walk in shame and torment and a belief that you have to be like the priest of old and wash your hands a thousand times a day and slaughter goats and calves and to gain holiness. Jesus has already paid the price to forgive all sin. This is his great act of mercy, and to go above and beyond and to show his abundant grace. He grants us not only access to the holy place, 
but he places the holy place inside of us, and we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray for those out there listening, wherever they are in the world, those that pray this prayer, that you go before them, you encounter them, you reveal yourself to them, that your presence is all around and your Holy Spirit is active in their lives from this day forward. Show them yourself and your great salvation. And for all the other listeners, I just ask you to show them your unfailing love, continually revealing yourself to all of us.